Thank you for listening to Christian Challenge at K-State's podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our ministry, follow us on Instagram or visit our website. Hope you enjoy this episode. So we're going to be in John chapter 10 tonight if you want to open your Bibles as we continue our study of the I Am statements as we're going through the Behold series. And I wanted to do something a little different. <clears throat> thought it might be kind of fun to introduce the I Am statement that we're going to have tonight with doing a word association game. So I do want to hear some feedback from you. So I've got a few pictures here that I'm going to um, ask for what comes to your mind when you see this image. So if we go to the first image, what comes to your mind when you see that? What? Ima? Go cats meow. Boo cats meow. What else? Cats by 90? Anything else? That's it? (laughs) K-State? Loyalty? Maybe? Family, Family, maybe? All right, now we're talking. All right, let's go to the next picture. Tell me. Be careful. Hey. Go easy. Jesus even loves KU. So I, what comes into your mind when you see this image? What? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Is that what's going on here? Okay, let's go to the next slide. What comes into your mind when you see this? You guys are out of control over here on this side. USA comes to mind. What? <laughs> um, okay, let's simmer down here. No more, cl- no more crowd participation. Let me tell you a few things that may come to your mind when you see a picture of a bald eagle. This guy here is one bad dude, right? He is the apex predator of the sky. He's strong, he's bold, and he's fiercely independent, and he just so happens to be the symbol of our country. Next slide. (laughs) Nope, 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 we're done with crowd participation. (laughs) What might come into your mind? Cute, cuddly, stinky, weak, Sheep are followers. They're the exact opposite of a bald eagle who's fiercely independent. Sheep get anxious when they're alone. They like to be together. They're very social. They have no ability to fight. They're very good at being prey. Their one tactic against their enemy is to just be together. They flock for protection. So, I read a story a number of years ago that I feel like somehow maybe would connect with this passage we're in tonight about a group of shepherds in Turkey. is the year 2005, and it was this whole village of sheep, like they'd put all their sheep into one flock, numbering 1,500 sheep. And they had this huge flock of sheep up on the side of a cliff, 
grazing, and the shepherds decided to go down, down the hill, down at the foot of the cliff, and to have, have a mealtime there and take a break. As they're eating, they look up at their 1,500 sheep on the cliff, and one of them topples over the side. And to their horror, after the one went, another one followed, and another one followed, and another one followed, and ended up being, I think all 1,500 walked over the edge, following one after the other. And the newspapers reported, in the end, 450 dead animals lay on top of one another in a billowy white pile. That's how it was described. Axkem newspaper said, that's a Turkish newspaper. Those who jumped later were saved as the pile got higher and the fall more cushioned. So even though 1,500 walked off the cliff, only 450 died and the rest fell on like a pillow, a white billowy pile. I got a picture. Did you show that picture of the... That's... Okay, maybe no, stay, maybe, maybe go on. <laughs> that was some of the remnants of that story. <laughs> Nikki, what did you do? <laughs> okay, so I, I don't want to make too much of this. I don't want to make too much of this, but I do want to point out that we live in a country, we live in a culture that has a bald eagle as our symbol. We are on top of the food chain. We're the top of the food chain kind of people, right? We are strong and independent kind of people. We're a don't, we don't need anybody kind of people. We're a we get what we want, how we want, when we want kind of people. And who wouldn't want to be that? Who wouldn't want to be a bald eagle? This is pretty cool. On the flip side... The Bible characterizes people in the kingdom of God over and over again as sheep. Sheep don't know how to fight. Sheep don't run very fast. Sheep are the opposite of independent. They're very dependent creatures. Like I said, they're really good at being prey. Our little ones, when they're clean, are cuddly. They're socially bonded. But that's not very cool, right? And yet, over and over again in the scriptures, God identifies his people as sheep. That's kind of like our national animal, sheep. And all through the scriptures, we get this illustration of the sheep and the shepherd. The shepherd signifying the leader and the sheep signifying the people of God. And we don't have time. I, I had a bunch of scripture. I wanted to trace this theme in the Old Testament, but we just don't have time for that. But, but the most notable most famous one's probably Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. And so there's this theme throughout the Old Testament of leaders that would be established over the people of God, and they'd be identified and, and called shepherds, and over and over again, they would fail as leaders. And then there's this other theme of God stepping in and saying, I will lead you, I will be a faithful shepherd to you, like Psalm 23, 1. So I did want to read Ezekiel 34, 1 through 5. Don't turn there, but just... Listen to this, I've got it on the screen, because I think this passage in Ezekiel 34 is what's on Jesus' mind as he's talking to the leaders of Israel 
in John chapter 10. And so Ezekiel 34, 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. All those things that you were called to do as a leader, you did none of those things. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. Fast forward a few verses and this wonderful promise comes in Ezekiel 34. It says, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will, be my, he, will, he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, Yahweh, I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be a prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. So in the midst of this kind of this illustration of the shepherd and sheep, this on repeat throughout the Old Testament, the people of God are the sheep and the leaders of those people, the shepherds, the leaders keep failing over and over again. And we see God speaking into the story saying, I will send a true shepherd. I will send a good shepherd, one who will rescue my people. One who will care for and nurture my people. So that's in the backdrop of the story that we're going to read in John 10. And before we read it, I want to just throw out a question to you. I think it'd be good for us to, to, to just consider this for a minute. Who have been the primary leaders in your life? Think about that. Your parents, coaches, teachers, maybe a grandparent, maybe church leaders, a youth pastor. Maybe this is a stretch, but I don't know, maybe political leaders. Maybe you look to political leaders too. I don't know if that'd be too far-reaching, but you think about the leaders. Who are they in your life? And what's the message that you've heard from those leaders? What have you heard from your coach about you? What have you heard from your mom, your dad, about you? What have you heard from church leaders Okay, John chapter 10, verse 1. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. So we're not going to read this section. We're going we're gonna to jump, jump forward to, to verse 11. But I wanted to read this first verse because what's going on here is Jesus, he's about ready to declare himself as the good shepherd. 
And I wanted to, to drill down, and especially verses 14 through 18, about what that means. But I want to start in verse 1, because Jesus, when he's saying he's the good shepherd, so far as we've kind of walked through our study of the I Am statements, we've seen how Jesus is, is declaring himself to be the prototype of other things that have been meaningful in their story. So Jesus is saying, like bread and manna from heaven, God has provided for you, but listen, I'm the bread of life. I'm the greater than bread. And he's saying, he's, he's saying like, you need light to live and to see and for clarity, but listen, I'm the greater than light that will last beyond the sun, that will last beyond the light of creation. I'm the greater than, and this is a little bit different. He is the, the greater good shepherd, but he's also comparing himself to terrible leaders that have been over the people. So he's contrasting himself to the leadership in their community. And so he describes them in verse 1 as a thief and a robber. And if you keep reading, he brings up the thieves and the robbers a couple more times. And the things that we learn about thieves and robbers in those first few verses is that one, that they, they don't enter through the gate. And Jesus says that he's the gate in verses 1 through 10. He says he's the gate. I am the gate. That's the one I am statement we're not going to talk about in this series. Um, we're going to take six of the seven with an object and one of the seven with no object and end with that. So, um, so here we, I just covered it right there. He, he said he's, he's the gate. But we learn that the thieves and robbers don't go in through the gate. They go in from some other way. So thieves and robbers try to gain access to the kingdom of God. They try to gain access. These leaders try to gain access to the benefits of the kingdom of God outside of Christ. These thieves and robbers, these leaders try to access the people of God without Christ. They want to access the benefits of the kingdom. They want to access the people in the kingdom to try to, to get a leg up in the world, but they want to do it apart from Christ. They also say in, this, in these verses that they came before Christ, probably referencing false prophets and false teachers and Pharisees that had come on before Christ. And then it says these bad leaders come to steal and to kill and to destroy. So these leaders end up being a part of the evil one's great plan. They end up using their power and their influence, these leaders, to take they use their power and influence to abuse. They use their power and their influence to wreck. They even use their power and influence to kill. And you don't have to look too hard to see that we have leaders like that all around us today. We live in hard times with leadership. I don't know that there's an institution in our culture that is void of the abuse of leaders, whether that be in the sports world, whether that be in academics, whether that be in the entertainment industry, or even in religious institutions. You can find leaders that abuse their authority. And so Jesus speaks into this with the people. And so look at verse 11. So as he's talked about the thieves and the robbers and, and their mission and, and their behavior, verse 11, he says, I am, there's that title of God, I am the good shepherd. 
leaning on Ezekiel 34. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. So now we have another reference to a leader. This leader is the hired hand. So he's not a thief or a robber, but when push comes to shove, he's not in it for the sheep. He's in it for the money. He doesn't really care about the sheep. So when, when the, the sheep bring a threat or even an inconvenience to the hired hand, he's like, I'm out. Maybe you've experienced leaders like this. Sure, I'll come lead your meeting. I'm happy to, to be a father when it's convenient for me. I'm happy to be a counselor at your camp. But if you want me to sacrifice for you, I'm out. I'm out. I'll lead as long as it doesn't cost me anything. It's the hired hand. But that's not Jesus. Look at verse 14. And here's where we're going to drill down and, and kind of marinate. And what does he mean by the good shepherd? He says, I, he says it again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. So what does it mean to be the good shepherd? Well, there's three uh, kind of buckets that I want to kind of soak in uh, around this idea of the good shepherd. And the first one is that he's compassionate. And it's, he's not like the hired hand who's just in it for the money. He's definitely not like the thieves and robbers who are leading because they want to take from the sheep. They want to use and abuse the sheep to prop themselves up. In fact, when Moses asks God who he is in Exodus chapter 34, God replies with his personal name. He says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh. Like he's communicating that I'm the independent God. That's my personal name. And then he leads with, as he describes who he is, he leads with this, Yahweh, Yahweh. And then what comes next? The compassionate and gracious God. Slow to anger abounding in faithful love. That verse that, that Sean read, in steadfast love and truth. He leads with compassion. It's like the first thing, I'm Yahweh and you want to know who I am? I am compassionate. And so we see like the good shepherd is compassionate. And part of the way we see this is right here. He says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, and I don't really understand the next phrase. He says, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. That's crazy language to me. And so I've consulted several commentaries trying to understand what in the world does Jesus mean here when he says, I know my sheep, and my sheep know me just like I know the Father, and the Father knows me. What? And I have found no satisfactory answer. But I have found this, over and over in this passage, he keeps comparing himself, Jesus keeps comparing himself with the Father. So I think the onus of these phrases, or the, the main theme of these phrases is that Jesus is identifying himself as God. 
He and the Father are one. But he still says, I know you, and I want to be known by you just like the Father knows me, and I know the Father. He still says that. So at least, at least that means that he loves you. He's crazy about you. As Colossians puts it, if you're in Christ, you're hidden with Christ in God. So as the Father and the Son are one, and he's saying that I I know my sheep and my sheep know me, he not only loves you, he not only cares for you, but he's one with you. He wants to be one with you. Just like he is with the Father. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. He knows your dreams. He knows your insecurities. He knows your fears. He knows your brokenness. He knows your hurts. He knows the things in your life that you've kept hidden from everybody else. He knows all of it. And guess what? He keeps coming for you. He keeps coming for you. Even though he sees all the mess that goes on in your heart and all the wicked ways in you, he just keeps coming for you because he's a good shepherd, because he longs for intimacy with you. This morning, I was having my quiet time and I, the word for my Behold 40 was intimate, probably because I've been thinking about this passage. So I just... I wanted to share with you kind of my ponderings on this whole idea of God being intimate with us. And so I was also in Mark, um, Austin. I was in Mark 3 this morning. So, Nikki, if you want to put that picture up, put a picture of my journal entry. And uh, this is just what I, what I wrote this morning. Jesus in Mark 3, you said, so I'm just going to write the ver- a couple of verses down from Mark 3. Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking at those sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. And then I wrote, It's crazy to me that these people who came to you, so I'm, talking, I'm trying to fellowship with Jesus, I'm talking to Jesus, who came to you and were committed to your ways, you saw them. And I thought, well, that's not entirely true because he still sees us. So he sees them, and I thought, well, he also sees me. He sees me as family. He looked around at the people who had come to him and who were listening to him and says, you're my sisters and brothers and mothers. I love that you want to have fellowship with me. Thank you. Sometimes it's easier for me to accept that you spoke creation out of nothing, that you command light to go, that you tell the oceans where to stop, that you tell planets how fast to spin. Sometimes that's easier for me to believe than the fact that you love me, that I matter to you. You see how fickle my heart can be. You see how prone I am to pride and insecurity, and you still want me. Wow. You are a God. I wrote that and I was like, that's not true. I'd cross it out, but the. You are the God of indescribable intimacy. You know me better than anyone else knows me and you keep coming for me and you're after my heart. 
because you're intimate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Can I just say this? It's good to be a sheep if Jesus is the shepherd. It is good to be a sheep if Jesus is the shepherd. So he goes on in verse 15. He says, I lay, I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. So another way that we see the compassion of God in the, in the, the, the uh, good shepherd is that he lays his life down for us. Now, if you've grown up in church, you have probably heard that phrase countless times from your little kid. He died for you. Jesus died for you. He gave his life for you. For God so loved the world, or for God so loved you, that he sent his one and only son so that you could have eternal life. So it's over and over again, he laid his life down for you. He laid his life down for you. Jesus died for you. And over and over again, we've heard this indescribable truth. And sometimes I fear that as we've heard it so many times, it's become a little bit plastic. So if we could just slow down and remember this. Jesus. Jesus Christ walked this earth. Everything was created by him. Everything was created through him. Everything was created for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And that same Jesus who is holding the stars together right now in this moment. And by the way, he knows every star's name. He calls them all by name. He's holding them all together. That Jesus gave his body over to torment. He gave his body over to cruelty. He gave his body over to torture in order for you and I to have a way to be intimate with him. It's important to him that you understand this. He says it like three times in these few verses. The good shepherd lays his life down for his sheep. Where is there a leader like that? Oh, friends, it's good to be a sheep. It's good to be a sheep when Jesus is the shepherd. He says it in verse 11, he says it again in verse 15, and then he says it again in verse 17. But in 17, there's another mention of Jesus and the Father. And he says in verse 17, this is why the Father loves me. It's almost like, it reads kind of like Jesus is trying to earn the Father's love by sacrificing himself for us. But we know that's not true. Jesus didn't have to earn the Father's love you got to hold that verse accountable with the rest of Scripture. And we know that the Father and the Son are one, that they're living in perfect harmony, perfect community, and perfect love for one another. And later in John, in John chapter 17, verse 24, Jesus says, You loved me. Jesus is praying to the Father. He said, You loved me from before the foundations of the world. So Jesus was totally secure in the Father's love for him. So the way to understand verse 17 
is that Jesus' sacrifice for us didn't earn the Father's love for him. It fulfilled the love that was already there. So next week is Valentine's Day. Wednesday of next week. You're welcome for those of you that didn't know that. So if I show up at home Wednesday of next week with a a bunch of flowers for Gail, and she's so excited about these flowers, that didn't earn her love for me. That just fulfilled her love for me. It like it like encapsulated, it demonstrated the love that was already there. And I think that's what verse 17 means. But listen, here's what I want you to see in verse 17. Can you look at me? Like this, this is so important. This like, this was so moving for me. Something happens when God sees your needs. When God sees your needs and Jesus leans in to sacrifice himself for your needs, it so moves the heart of the Father to pour out his love on his son. You're not just an afterthought to God. As Jesus sacrifices for you in your brokenness and your hurts and your pain, and, and God sees that demonstration of love, He is so moved. It's brilliant. The Good Shepherd is amazing, His compassion is amazing. Like we could just soak in that one bucket of the compassion of God and think about his intimacy and think about his sacrifice for us for the rest of eternity. And I don't think it would ever get old. It's amazing, but it keeps going. Read verse 16 again. If we back up, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. You know what Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about the nations. He's saying this, this sheep pen of, of everybody from Israel that has kind of grown up with the scriptures and, and there's plenty in here that are identifying with me, that are believing in me. But listen, there are other sheep that are outside of this pen and I'm bent on going after them because I want their heart and I want people from every tribe, tongue, and language around my throne one day in worship of me. I'm coming for you. And a crazy thing about John chapter 10 is that John chapter 10 is connected to John chapter 9. Sometimes, sometimes in our Bible reading plans or reading this chapter and this chapter, we forget how they're all connected. But listen, John chapter 9 tells this amazing story of God, of Jesus healing a man who was blind from birth. And without tracing the steps of the story, it's really awesome the guy gets called into the synagogue a couple of times. His parents get called into the synagogue to testify about what happened to this man. And this man's like, I don't know who he was, 
but this is what he did, and here's what I know, is that once I was blind, now I can see. And at the end of John chapter 9, he gives testimony to Jesus, and it so infuriates the leaders in the synagogue that they kick him out of the synagogue. You tracking with me? When you think synagogue, don't think temple. Okay, there's one big, massive temple in Jerusalem. There are synagogues in all, every village all around Israel. And the synagogue would be the center of that village, the center of that community, the, the, uh, the, 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 the hub of the culture and the identity of that people. It's where they would worship together. It's also where they would feast together, where they would have their festivals together. And boy, people didn't want to get kicked out of the synagogue. And the, the religious leaders could kind of use that to kind of have their way with people. But they kicked this man out. And my favorite verse in this passage, well, one of. If you look back at chapter 39, sorry, chapter 9, verse 35, listen to this. Can you listen to this? Jesus heard they had thrown the man out. And when he found him, All the demands on Jesus' life, all that was on his plate to do, all the naysayers and the haters that were following him around, and he stops to go look for a beggar. I'm telling you that it is good to be a sheep if Jesus is the shepherd. It means that he's compassionate, that he pursues intimacy, that he sacrifices, and that he's missional. One of my Coaches that I had in my teenage years, I don't know why, but it's like he chose me at the beginning of the season to be his stepping stool. I don't know if he wanted to try to get me to quit or if he was just wanting to use me as a way to um, inspire the team, but he berated me every day. Every day in practice, he would just yell at me, and I could do nothing to please him. And I remember one time, I was sitting on the bench, and he put me in the game. It was an away game. And the whole, he didn't put me in for very long, two or three minutes, four maybe. And the whole time I'm in the game, it was a basketball game, the whole time I'm in the game, he's yelling at me, just me. Don't do this, don't do this, Robbie, do this, Robbie, do this, the whole time. And I'm telling you that I couldn't focus on the game. All I could think about is how to make that man happy. And nothing I did satisfies him. Then he pulls me out of the game, and he sits me next to him, and he looks at me, and he says, Robbie, when you're out there, you just got to be more relaxed. Why are you playing so high-strung? And I don't know that if you've ever had a leader in your life like that, but it was like, that season, it was like every insecurity, every negative thing that I ever believed about myself was just reinforced every day, every day, just reinforced. I'm second string. I can't do this. I'm no good. 
and it was miserable. That's not Jesus. You don't find that heart in the Good Shepherd. He doesn't like that kind of leadership. That's why he's saying, he's standing up and he's saying thieves and robbers and hired men try to cheat their way in your lives. But listen, I'm the good shepherd and I know you. I'm laying my life down for you. And I'm coming for more. That's Jesus. The last two characteristics of the good shepherd are going to be a lot quicker. Verse 18, just wrap the second bucket we kind of want to soak in. What does it mean that he's the good shepherd? So let me read verse 18, or verse 17 again. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me. Wow, I mean, this is like amazing language. Come on. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. Okay, Judas didn't take my life from me. No, Pontius Pilate didn't take my life from me. Herod did not take my life from me. He said, I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So not only is the good shepherd full of compassion, but listen, he is also, he has complete authority. He not only has authority to lay his life down, but he has authority to take his life back up again. In other words, he has authority over life and he has authority over death. He can tell himself, I don't want to be dead anymore. I have the right to take my life back up again. It's crazy talk. It's true. My parents are here. Right there by my wife. Amazing leaders. Amazing leaders in my life. Dad had a birthday a couple days ago, so we're going to celebrate his birthday and hang out for the weekend, watch the Super Bowl. But I want to tell you about a conversation that would happen in our home sometime when I was a kid with, between these two. So my dad, this, this, would like, I, I heard, this conversation happened a few times. It goes something like this. My dad would say, Robbie, I don't want you to go to school on Friday. I got other plans for you. <clears throat> and my mom would say, Ralph, you can't just take him out of school. What are you, you going to do? He's like, well, it's going to be good weather. I thought we'd go fishing. <laughs> and she'd say, honey, you can't take him out of school to go fishing. And my dad would say, well, he's my son. I can do whatever I want. It's like if you write a note to the principal, they're not going to let him out to go fishing. He's like, I don't have to tell him. He's my son. And I, in my heart, I was like this. <laughs> but listen, he was right. He was right. He could take me out of school. You know why? Because he's my dad. I belong to him. He has authority over me. His authority is greater than the school's authority. The same way Jesus says, I can, 
I have the right to lay my life down. I have the right to take it up again. Jesus has authority over everything because he's over it all. He's over it all. I remember one of those fishing trips I took with my dad. We were fishing all day, and at the end of the day, we were sitting in a canoe together, and he brought up what I realized he took me out to the pond to do was to tell me some bad news. And he brought up um, something that happened with a church leader who was my hero. And he told me that this church leader had been caught taking advantage of a good friend of mine. And it was like somebody punched me in the gut. Like, I couldn't believe that. And I know there's been a buzzword I've heard on this campus, and I've heard it from other campuses, the, the word church hurt. Like, there's real church hurt of people who have used their position and authority in the church, in the name of God, to hurt and to take from other people. And I went through a season where every time I'd open up my Bible and I'd read a passage that I had talked about with this mentor of mine that I didn't know if I could trust it because he taught me about this. Like it messed me up. And that's not Jesus. He has all authority and he's coming against leaders like that. He wants to defend you. He wants to protect you. And I know there's probably people in here that are like, I can relate to that. I've got my own stories, and I'm just, I want to plead with you don't give up on Jesus because he is the good shepherd. Last bucket to marinate in, just jump ahead to verse 27. So the first bucket's compassion, the second bucket, is authority. The third bucket, verse 27, says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one, no one, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You're all probably too young to have ever seen the movie Speed. It's got Keanu Reeves and uh, Sandra Bullock in it. You probably don't know who those people are. But <clears throat> the movie the, is about this guy puts a bomb underneath a public transportation bus. And once the bus hits a certain speed, the bomb is armed. And if the bus ever gets slower than that speed, the bomb's going to go off. So the, almost the whole movie takes place on this bus, and they're driving through traffic in the city, and they're trying to figure out how do we keep, the, and we're, they're turning corners. We're like, we can't slow down. We can't slow down, or it's going to blow up. Sometimes I feel like that, that our religion can be like that. 
It's like, man, I had a, a really good day today, and I, and I read my Bible, and actually the verse of the day actually did something to me. It was so good, and I actually journaled, and I did everything I was supposed to do. So tomorrow, I got to just keep that going. Like, I can't slow down. I can't slow down because then I'm going to lose favor with God. It's like we're on a never-ending treadmill, and if we ever slow down, if we ever falter, have a bad day, you have to earn your way back into the shepherd's hands. But no, the good shepherd's not like that. He's the good shepherd, and in his grip, his grip is stronger than anything else in the world, even your failures. He will not let you go no matter how much you struggle. But the enemy, oh, the enemy loves to get Christians to doubt this, to doubt your security, to doubt your salvation in Christ. But you have to reckon with this verse and others like it that say our God is not letting go because he's the good shepherd and he has a grip on you and his grip is stronger than anything and he will not let go. It's good to be a sheep if Jesus is the shepherd. And so I want to close with just recognizing this painting over here done by Bethany Pearson. And yeah, I got a picture of it up here. And I want to read what she wrote. I waited till the end because it so reminds me of this last characteristic of the good shepherd. He's compassionate, he has all authority, and he's our protector. No one can snatch us out of his hands. And so Bethany writes this about her painting. I chose to make his hands much larger than the sheep to tangibly show how powerful he is while using the image of cupped hands to magnify how gentle he is. Yes. That's it. Authority, compassion, power, gentleness. I chose purple for the robe because it signifies royalty. And what better color to choose for our king who humbled himself as a shepherd? As you can see, there are no faces. I decided to leave out the faces on the sheep. Are you listening? I decided to leave out the faces on the sheep because in the eyes of the Lord, we are all created in his image. He loves us each the same. He pursues us each the same. He left the 99 for the one, and he pursues each of us as his children. Wow. It's perfect. Bethany, it's perfect. Thank you. So how do we conclude? If you're here tonight, I've got two invitations. If you're here tonight, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. Here's my question for you why not he is so good he so wants Jesus Christ so wants what is best for you he is so compassionate he has all authority and what he wants to do with that authority is to to give to you and to protect you. And maybe you've never 
surrender to him because you're just struggling to believe him? Maybe you're struggling to trust his word, and if that's the case, I understand that. I get that. We get that. And I would just want to say to you that we would love to visit with you about that. We work, we work pretty hard to be good listeners. And maybe we could offer some help if you're struggling to trust, struggling to believe. The other invitation I have for us is this, that whether you're following Christ or not, some of you that are following Christ, you may be following him from a distance. You're, not, you're just not sure, like, how intimate do I really want to be with Christ? Because leaders in your life have abandoned you. Or because leaders in your life have hurt you. And you're here tonight, but you've got scars. Or because leaders in your life have misled you. Or because leaders in your life have have manipulated you or because leaders in your life have lied to you. I don't know, but I do know this, that it's easy for us and the enemy loves to do this to get us to project our hurt from people in our past, to project that hurt onto God. And for the enemy to say to us that that's what God wants for you. That's what God will do to you if you trust him. And I want to invite you tonight if that's you, to just confess that, just identify that with the Lord and surrender. Say, God, I want to trust that you are the good shepherd for me. For me. Say yes to trusting God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you We thank you for your heart. We thank you for your passion. We thank you for how you stood up when this blind beggar that you had healed had been rejected by the leaders and been castigated by the, by the leaders of the day, that you stood up and said, I am not like that, and you people deserve better than this. Trust in me. I'm the good shepherd. We thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are and that you're never changing, that we don't have to wake up tomorrow and worry that, hey, maybe he's not as good today or we don't have to, to worry about, like, after we make a terrible mistake to wake up and think maybe he's not a good shepherd anymore. That's you're always the good shepherd. Thank you. God, help us. Help us to see that and to believe that and to trust you to embrace that, to be all in for you because you are all in for us. So we need your help even to believe. So we ask for you to help us. In Jesus' name.